0: Let's breeze through a few points about the life of Moses, shall we? As we study Moses, we must realize that the events surrounding his birth and his infancy are a shadow and type of what happens to us as believers as we experience the new birth, born again experience in Jesus Christ. For instance, if you know the story of Moses, he was born under a law of death. The Pharaoh had made a decree that all of the male children that were born under the age of two years old were to be thrown into the Nile River with the crocodiles. That was a law. He was born under a law of death. Every single one of us were born under the law of sin and death. Carnality, sin, and wickedness was hardwired into the DNA of our flesh. Nobody had to teach you how to tell your first lie or how to steal your first piece of candy or how to misbehave the first time. It came naturally because you were born in sin under a law of death. Romans says the wages of sin, the recompense for sin is death. Moses was born under a law of death. We were born under a law of death. Moses, though, was saved from the law of death by the strength of another. His mother decided she wasn't going to obey the law and throw him to the crocodiles. She made a little Moses basket and pitched it with tar, put the baby down in the basket, and let him float down in the Nile River. It was not Moses that saved himself from the law of death he was under. It was done by the strength of another when he was too weak to save himself. In the same way, brothers and sisters, you did not contribute anything to your salvation. You are not saved because you got educated. You are not saved because you pulled yourself up by the bootstraps. You are not saved because you arrived at enlightenment and you decided to start living a different way. You are saved by the strength of another, Jesus Christ, who died on Calvary's cross to save you, when you were without strength to save yourself, Romans five six says, when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. That's a that's a, a, a scripture. That's a verse you need to know. Christ did not die for the godly. Christ died for the ungodly. So if you're in here and you're evil and you're ungodly, you are in just the right place. If you got issues and weaknesses and problems and sins, you are in just the right place. God did not die to save the godly. He died to save the ungodly. If you're a miserable wretch, if you're a murderer, if you're a rapist, if you're a drug addict, if you've done the most horrible, heinous things anyone can possibly think of, if you feel so guilty and so over. Loaded with the burden of shame. God died for people like you when you had no strength to save yourself. So Moses was saved when he was without strength. Point number one things you have to know, things you have to see on the inside, diagnostics, a vision, an x ray on the inside. First thing you have to know you have to know that you've been saved if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, if you've bowed your knee to his lordship, then you are saved. And every Christian has to have this progression in consciousness. We come here self-conscious. We learn about God and the law of God and all of a sudden we become sin conscious. But then, once we are saved, you have to make the progression out of sin consciousness into saved consciousness. Somebody say, I'm saved and I know it. I need to feel some confident Christians say that. I'm saved and I know it. I ain't perfect, but I'm saved. Still got some issues, but I'm saved. God still got some things he's working on in me, but I'm saved. How do you know you're saved? I believe from the top of my head to the sole of my feet that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. I believe he lived perfectly and died completely, and that on the third day he rose again with all power in his hand. I believe he went to hell and took the keys of death, hell, and the grave away from Satan, our enemy. And then I believe God highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I've made that confession. Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm not perfect, but I've made that confession. Jesus Christ is Lord. Still got some issues, but I've made that confession. I feel it. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I've been baptized in the name of Jesus. I've been filled with his Holy Spirit I'm walking in the divine power of God I have faith in the word I believe the gospel every letter of the gospel every punctuation mark in the gospel I'm not there yet but I'm reaching for it I know I am saved somebody shout I'm saved if anything I said applies to you shout I'm saved I'm saved from hell. I'm saved from destruction. I am saved from the rule and power of sin. I'm saved from the enemy that would seek to destroy my life. I am saved. But then, Moses wasn't just saved from the law of death. Okay? His life wasn't just saved. But the next thing that happened to Moses was he got adopted. After he was saved, he was adopted, watch, by the most powerful family on earth. Pharaoh's daughter found him floating in that basket and didn't just take him up out of the water and didn't just find him a nurse. said, you know what? I want you to be mine. This is what happened to us. It's not just that God saved us, but after he saved us, he adopted us into his family and we have been adopted by the most powerful family in heaven moses adopted by the most powerful family on earth became a joint heir of the kingdom you and i have been adopted by the most powerful family in heaven and have become joint heirs with jesus christ point number two you have to know You've been chosen. Oh, yeah. You have to know this. You have to know you have been chosen. If you have a biological child today in the state of Texas, the baby becomes your responsibility. You have no choice. It's your child. You have to care for it. But when you adopt a child, like the Mayfields just did. You take parental responsibility over somebody that wasn't your responsibility, and you do it by choice. That's what God did with us. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5, you've been adopted. John 15, 16, you've been adopted. Romans 8, 15, you have been adopted. What's it all mean? It means you've been chosen by God. Not only did he choose to save you, he chose to make you part of his family. I'm not just saved. I belong to the family of God. You're not just saved. You belong to the family of God. I'm thankful that Jesus saved me, but he went a step further than that. By saving me, he made me a part of the family of God. Now, a paramedic will save your life, but he won't take you home with him. <laughs> so there's a, there's a subtle difference between salvation and adoption. Jesus saved us, but then God took us home with him. God made us his children through the blood of his son Jesus Christ and now we are a part of the family of God and you have to know this because you don't always feel like this sometimes it feels like life's picking on you sometimes in your mind the enemy will whisper in your ear and cause you to doubt who you really are in God it's why I'm preaching this diagnostic series it's why I'm preaching this message because in the core of your identity you have to know deep deep, deep down, deep down in your heart, I belong to God. In fact, You belong to God so much, he never let the drugs totally have you. You belong to God so much, he never let the alcohol totally have you. You belong to God so much, he never let all them crazy nights in the club totally have you. Because every time you almost went off the edge, daddy started pulling you back, calling you back, drawing you back. You know why? Because you belong to God. He has become your father. See, I can save you. I can save your life. If I'm driving by and you're about to jump off a bridge, I can stop and pull over. I put enough time in at the gym. I can keep you from falling off that bridge. I can hold you up. But here's the thing. I ain't gonna do it for you multiple times. I can save you. I can't keep saving you. But a father will save you. Time, after time after time daddy I'll never do it again if you just get me out of this three months later in the same mess but here comes daddy again because he's not just a savior he has become your father has anybody ever had their father get them out time time after time after time after time Do me a favor. I need all the people he saved from the same thing at least more than 10 times to give him some praise in the house right now. The same thing. And he kept saving and kept saving and kept saving. this parental love oh he didn't owe us this salvation he gave it to us because he's good he gave it to us because his heart is right it wasn't that your heart was right it was that his heart was right I had the privilege. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus. Ah, thank you, Jesus. My soul says, thank you, Jesus. I tried to keep preaching, but my mind just started remembering all the times he's pulled me out of the same, all the times he's delivered me from the same struggle. I don't know about you. I've got a reason to shout, thank you, Jesus. God, yeah. I had the privilege of sitting with the Mayfields, having a little dinner the other day, and uh, I got to listen to Lee Mayfield talk about the baby they adopted. And he said it's just something in my heart. I feel like that's my baby. I love that baby. That baby's a part of this family. I, he said these words. I can't imagine my life without that baby. Now I ain't saying nothing about the baby, okay? I'm just saying, that baby don't love you yet. Babies, they haven't even developed. They are not to the point of emotional stability or aptitude that they can comprehend love. That baby don't love him. That baby's spitting up on him. That baby's messing in its diapers and looking at him while he's cleaning it up. That baby saying, feed me, burp me, change me, put me down for a nap, give me my pacifier, or I'll bust you up the side of your head and scream until your eardrums bleed. All of the love right now in the relationship is coming from Lee and the, his mama to that baby. None of it's coming from that baby back to them. Just like our Father, when he saved us, all we did was burp and spit up and mess on ourselves. And time and time again, he kept changing us and cleaning us and feeding us and blessing us and raising us up and clothing us. So when we were without strength, to give anything back. He loved us in the mess we were in. He died for us in the mess we were in. He died so we could vomit up on him. He died so he could change our diapers and clean us up. He died so he could pick us up. He died so he could pacify us. He died so he could deliver us. He died. And he feels about you like Lee feels about that baby don't know what it is but I just feel like he's a part of my family I just feel like she's a part of my family and if you're a father and mother and you wouldn't ever forsake your children no matter what they do Imagine the heavenly father whose name is love. Imagine the heavenly father who sees high but looks low. Imagine the heavenly father, how he has set his love on you. And God said, I chose you. I'll never let you go. Hear me, sinner man, sinner woman. He'll never let you go. He'll never stop whispering to you in the silent times. He'll never stop drawing you with His love. He'll never stop wooing you with His compassion and His mercy. Because you are a part of the family. Lift up your hands and say, I'm in the family. Number three, you have to know where you've come from oh you got to remember where you've come from oh while Moses was growing up he remembered walking around that palace I'm here but I wasn't born here I'm blessed wasn't born blessed I'm rich I wasn't born rich when people forget where they have come from help me preach when people forget where they've come from they start pouting on God when things don't go their way but Moses knew that his worst day in the kingdom was better than his best day in the slave camp. And I came to tell you believers that have been having some rough times and pouting on God like he don't love you, your worst day in the kingdom is better than your best day outside of it. Your worst day as a believer is better than your best day as an atheist or a doubter. Your worst day is better than your best day outside of it. Moses knew walking around no matter what the issues of his life were he knew he always had two reasons to smile number one he had been saved number two he had been adopted Christian people listen to this preacher no matter what's going on in your life you've always got two reasons to smile number one you're saved he didn't have to do it but he did you're saved your soul has been saved Not you got a blessing, not you got a Cadillac, not you got a $1,000, not you got a promotion. The real power is you have been saved. Your soul has been snatched out of the marketplace of sin, death, and hell. You have been saved. When you die, you don't have to wonder about where you're going to go. You have been saved. Number two, you've been adopted. You've been put into the family. You belong to God now. So your car broke down. Don't throw a hissy fit, lose your mind, start pouting on God. Where is God? God's worry's always been holding your place in heaven. God's worry's always been being your father and making sure things will work out for your good in the end. Don't be weary in well doing. Don't give up in difficult days. Don't throw in the towel and cast your faith aside when you hit some rough patches. God is your father. God is on the throne God is for you who can be against you whatever you're going through now God will ultimately work it out it's not gonna destroy you because you're part of the family got to remember where you've come from some of our grandparents would be ashamed of the way we complain complaining with a dishwasher and a microwave in your house Complaining with an electric iron and an ironing board. Complaining with A.C. in your house. Complaining with running water out of your faucet. Complaining with multiple pairs of shoes. So many shoes in the closet, you have to spend minutes sitting in there staring at them, trying to figure out which ones go with that. Realize it or not, God has been good to you. I'm going to say it to this section. God has been mighty, mighty, mighty good to you. I'm going to say it over here. God has been good I'm going to say it over there. God has been. Is there anybody he's been good to? Let me hear you shout. Thank you. I wonder if I had 10 people he's been good to that can give him 10 seconds of praise. I wonder if I had 10 thankful people that can give him a 10 second thank you, shout and a dance, cause he's worthy. Just for the thankful, just for the thankful. Yeah. If you feel like dancing, you might as well pat your foot. If you feel like jumping, you might as well do a few. If you feel like clapping, you might as well let that thing go. If you feel like praising, you might as well. Moses was saved, saved, come on, saved, adopted, chosen. Now, same thing if you're a believer. You've been saved, you've been adopted, been chosen. But because you serve a God that is full of purpose, God doesn't save, choose, adopt anybody without a reason. Now this is, see, believers don't really have to spend a whole lot of time in the salvation area because Jesus paid it all. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Gee, hallelujah. It is by faith, it is by faith that we receive that. Grace through faith, it's the gift of God. You can't earn salvation, you can't pay for it, you can't live a disciplined lifestyle to earn it. It is a free gift, according to the book of Romans. It's a free gift. You must simply receive it. That's salvation, right? We don't spend a lot of time with that. Adoption. We don't spend no time with that. We can't adopt ourselves. That's God's doing. Okay? Chosen. That's God's doing. Where we struggle for the largest part of our Christian life is in that fourth component, that fourth area, purpose. You saved me. Stop right there. Come here. Lift up your hands, buddy. I God God your family I pray God keep you safe open doors for Purpose. purpose is something we must, for the first time in our salvation walk, in our Christian walk, purpose is the first time we get involved. I didn't get involved in salvation. That was God's doing. I wasn't at the cross. I didn't get involved in adoption. That was God's doing. I didn't get involved in choosing. That was God's doing. I was still the baby messing on myself. I didn't have the capacity to love back yet. Okay. That was all God's doing. But now for the first time in our Christian walk, when we come to purpose, purpose is something we partner with God concerning. And most people spend the largest swath of their Christian life trying to walk out. What in the world am I here for? saved me. You had an idea for my life. You wanted me to do something. What in the world is it? And Moses spent 40 years from birth when he was pulled out of those bulrushes to the time he was 40 years old, had no idea what he was there for. Walking around in circles, walking around. What did you save me for? What, 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 What did you deliver me for? You thought I was worth saving. For what? You came and saved my life. For what? You thought I was worth keeping. So you cleaned me up inside. You thought I was to die for. So you sacrificed your life. So I could be free, so I could be whole, so I could tell everyone I know." For what? And I bet you if we drilled all the way down to the burning question in your faith, it would be for what? What do you want me to do with this? What do you want me to do here? And Moses carried this around for 40 years, <clears throat> but then one day he was outside and he saw he, uh, Egyptian abusing a Hebrew. You know, the Egyptians had enslaved Moses' people, the Hebrews, and he saw an Egyptian abusing him, beating him with a whip. And uh, so Moses went out there and Moses murdered the Egyptian. There was such an A passionate rage on the inside to defend his people and to deliver them from oppression that he let his passion go out of control and he killed the man but it was then he discovered what his purpose was his purpose was to deliver his people from Egyptian bondage notice that he discovered his purpose while committing a sin don't make me unpack that theologically he discovered his purpose in a perverse happening he discovered his purpose doing something he shouldn't have done he discovered his purpose committing a crime but it was that passion that overflowed that led him to know that's what I'm supposed to do number four you will know your purpose through your passion. If you're saying to yourself, I don't know what in the world I'm for. I don't know where I'm supposed to fit in. I don't know, I know God. I know Jesus saved me, I believe all that. I don't know what my purpose in this life is. First clue, we're doing diagnostics, we're studying the inside, we're examining this today. First clue, what's your passion? What are you passionate about? If you can't answer that, answer me this. What annoys the mess out of you? If you're sitting in this church and something that we're doing just annoys the mess out of you, that may be a sign you're called to help fix it. Not complain and try to run other people off, no. Maybe it's a sign you're called to help bring some some strength in that area. You know? If, uh, well, I'm not gonna give examples because I don't want anybody to get mad, but. But if you're just intensely agitated, bothered, passionate about a specific thing, it may be. Now, let me put that disclaimer in there. It may be a sign that that's an area of your purpose. Whatever you're passionate about in your life, okay? If it's your vocation, if God's got people that he purposed to be hairdressers. Oh, yes, he does. God's got people he purposed to be nail technicians. God's got people that he purposed. To, to do all kind of jobs, okay? God's, God's got people that he purposed to be in the marketplace. God's got people that he purposed and he just gave them a gift to make a lot of money and be successful financially so they could help finance his kingdom, okay? God's got, God, God's got some people that are successful in the corporate world and they're trying to break into the church world and God's saying, I don't want you in the church world, I want you in the corporate world making money so that you can finance what the church is doing, yeah. amen. Okay. God has a purpose for your life. He didn't save anybody he didn't give a purpose to. He didn't adopt anybody he didn't give a purpose to. He didn't choose anybody that he didn't give a purpose to. You have a purpose. Yeah. Sometimes your purpose may be who you're raising. I know for a fact, beyond a shadow of doubt, part of my purpose you know, has to do with this church, but I know for a fact, beyond a shadow of doubt, I'm the only human being, I'm the only male human being in the world that could raise my son. That boy is part of my purpose, okay? God trusted me with that boy, okay? And all the challenges and all the different things, God trusted me with that. That's part of my purpose. Some of you may not be a world changer. You may raise one. Some of you may not be a best-selling author. You may raise one and pay for their college. You know? But whatever it is, whatever it is, okay? Find your passion. That'll be your first clue to your purpose. Look at somebody dead in their eye and say, God has a purpose for your life. All right, I got to breeze through these next five. Number five, number five. Always marvel at the miracle. Number five, please, upstairs. Number five. Number five, or yeah, there we go. Thou shall always marvel at the miracle. When Moses saw the burning bush, he wouldn't have been introduced to God in the bush unless he stopped to marvel. The text says he stopped to marvel. Many times, we don't take the exit and marvel at the miracles we drive right past. God has worked miracles for people in this church, bonafide, real, beautiful miracles. But some of us have been so busy on the road of life, we have looked to the side as if it was a billboard, and we kept on driving. We kept getting up the next day in our same routine, doing whatever we were doing. But Moses had the ability, when he saw the burning bush, and he saw that it was supernatural, he stopped, he took his shoes off, he went over to it, he got on the ground, and he marveled at it. And as he was marveling at it, he got a word. And it's this principle here. Every miracle has a message inside it. Don't get the miracle and miss the message. Every miracle has a message inside it. Don't just awe oh, clap for the miracle and move on. Stop to get the message inside the miracles that God is working in your life. Number six. I'm going to stop here. I can't get through all 10. We're going to be here three and a half hours. Number six. Thou shalt understand that the calling of God empowers your staff and embraces your stutter. The calling of God empowers your staff and embraces your stutter. You remember in the text we read, Moses said, God, I I can't go talk to the most powerful man in the world. I don't speak well, I'm not eloquent, I have a speech impediment. There's a problem here, I, I can't go and do that. And then God, what, what do I do if they don't believe me? What do I do if I go in there and I say, the Almighty God sent me and they laugh at me. And you remember the last verse that we read in our text in verse 17, God said, take this staff. What, what's this staff? It was the staff Moses already had in his hand. Oh, don't miss that. I know we're 39 minutes in past 11 o'clock, but don't miss that. God said, take what's already in your hand. I'm going to do signs and wonders with it. If they don't believe what comes out of your mouth, I'll put my power on what's already in your hand. Take this staff. I'm going to do signs and I'm going to do wonders with it. So the calling of God, number one, empowers your staff. What's that mean, preacher? It means God will put his supernatural power on what you already have in your hand. I'm not telling you to go out and get something that will qualify you for power. I'm telling you God's going to use something that's already within you. Wait a second. Preacher's tying it up. I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power in those that believe. In other words, God says, Moses, I'm about to pull out of you signs and wonders every time you pick up your staff. And God's saying to some of you, I'm about to pull out of you signs and wonders and miracles and power, and you're just going to use the thing that you already got. I would start the business, but I don't have. Use what's in your hand. I would launch out into that thing, but I don't have. Use what's all in your hand. He empowers your staff. I speak the power of God to manifest over your life in the areas that are already in your hand, the job you already have, more coming out of what you already have, the super coming out of the natural that you already have in the name of Jesus Christ. So the calling of God empowers your staff, but then it embraces your stutter. In other words, Moses stutter his impediment, his blockage was the thing he thought disqualified him for working for God in that area. Like it or not, every single one of us have a stutter. You may not stutter to speak, but, but, but there's an issue somewhere in your life that's a stutter. Maybe your stutters in dealing with people because they are so trifling at times. You know you can only deal with shady people so long. And almost like a mental illness thing comes on you because you start looking at everybody sideways because you're looking for the shade in them. You're trying to see past their skin, look down into their eyes and find the shade, because you just you know it's there because you've been through so much. And people think you're crazy. You're not crazy. You've just been hurt 10,000 times. And sometimes that can be a a blockage, a stumble, a stutter. Or maybe it was abuse that's kept you from really trusting or being intimate with people. Maybe you've had sex, but you hadn't been intimate in 30 years. Maybe it's you don't deal with finances well, and fight like hell anybody that tries to help you because you're possessive, and you're possessive because you're scared to death. You're going to be in lack again. Stutter may be, you push everyone close away. And you're nicer to strangers on the street than you are your own blood. Truth is, not because you have a big heart. It's just easier because it requires less investment. I don't know what your stutter is. But the calling of God empowers your staff While at the same time, embracing your stutter. It's not that God accepts you the way you are. No. He goes further than that. He embraces the broken parts of you. The messed up parts of you. The parts that when you're really honest in your prayer you say God I can't because that part God comes close and he hugs it he embraces it Moses after lines and lines and lines and chapters and verses of this prayer and conversation with God Moses finally gets real and says the reason I keep stalling the reason that I keep protracting this conversation out the reason I keep bringing up thing after thing after thing is I don't talk good. they made fun of me all of my life for the way I talk. I was different anyway. I was adopted. I wasn't born in that family. And all of my life, my speech has been mocked. And now you're asking me to go and to speak. I can't go speak for you. I can't go speak for you with this speech." And God's response to his weakness was, I made your mouth. I made you the way you are. I ordered your steps to give you the kind of life you had to prepare your heart for a specific assignment that you wouldn't have received any other way had you not been through what you've been through. Stop cursing your past. Stop hating yesterday. Stop hating the environment you were raised in. It puts something in you that God wants to use. Stop hating the people that mistreated you. It's putting something in you that God wants to use. You wouldn't be able to operate in effectiveness in your future had you not been dropped and let down the ways you were in your past. Don't be ashamed of the flaw. God's saying, I want to use it. So he empowered the staff and then he embraced the stutter. And then last point, Moses still wasn't ready. After all that encouragement, after all that love, after all of that embrace, Moses still said, would you please send somebody else? Number seven, take a brother with you. Take a brother with you. In other words, God was saying, I know, you don't want to go alone, and you don't have to do this by yourself. I don't know who this is for, but you don't have to make this next move by yourself. God is going to assign people to your life. God is going gonna to send and assign people to your life. Stand to your feet. You know what I love about that verse that we read? The Bible said when, when God said, I don't want to use anybody else. I want to use you. I, I made your mouth. I'll be with your mouth. I'll help you speak. Moses said, please send somebody else. God said, all right, Aaron's already on his way. Meaning, God sent Aaron before he ever started the conversation with Moses. I'm telling you, help is already on the way to you. Somebody to help you get there. Somebody to help and add certain things to your journey. Somebody to lift up your arms when you get tired. Somebody to be there and intercede for you. Somebody to be your partner. The help is already on the way. Lift up your hands. Father, seal this word in our heart. We love you today we thank you today be Lord of our lives everybody say Jesus save me of my sins cleanse me forgive me let me in fill me with your spirit in Jesus name amen give him a great praise one time together you thought you thought I was worth saying come on sing with me church so you so you clean me up. You thought I was to die for so you sacrificed your life so I could tell everyone I know you thought I was.